0: So, Dave, you are the director of UNLV Center for Gaming Research. How's that going for you today?
1: It's working out okay. It's a living.
0: Yeah? Yeah. Are you researching gaming in a central
1: location? Yes, I am. I had a really big report come out today, too. Oh, what was it? The Oh, let me just punch up the title here. Out of the many tabs I had opened for discussions, I didn't have my own. See? Um. Wow. Well, Master marketer, Dave Schwartz. Yeah, not me. Not me. It's called United States Commercial Casino Revenues, Okay. 2001 and 2013. So the nerdy thing I did here was I tracked down a, the top line gaming revenue number for every jurisdiction with commercial casino gaming plus the Connecticut uh, tribal, game, tribal casino slots.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And f- put them down in a little spreadsheet and crunched the numbers and found all sorts of things about how – the industry is growing, and how it is uh, really spreading across the nation. And a lot yeah. of things that people probably already knew, but it was just kind of cool to see the numbers out there.
0: See it validated. You say now. You say you use the term commercial casinos. Are there other yeah. types? Tribal. Uh, oh, Indian oh casinos. I see. I see. That's so I don't. I
1: don't have really good numbers for Indian casinos. I have a couple. I have a couple of fiscal year numbers. These are all calendar year numbers. Gotcha. So yeah, but it's kind of cool. It's just kind of neat. You you see how different things grew and Nevada. C- kind of one of my interesting takeaways was that a lot of people say, well, the expansion hurt Nevada and it hurt the Strip, and if you look at it, it really didn't. Hmm. Interesting. In relative terms, the number stayed pretty big. So it didn't really hurt the strip. You know, did it hurt New Jersey? Yes, because you can see their total really, they actually declined Hmm. since 2001, but a lot of other states didn't. So there's some kind of cool stuff. And now that, of course, now that I have the PDF up on the website and I'm looking at it, I see that there is a. Phantom page at the end that doesn't have any text on it. So <laughs> wonderful stuff. So I know what I'm doing tomorrow.
0: Yes. Very fun. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah so, people, if people want to check that out, we have a lot of casino nerds. They can just go to the center's website and
1: download yeah. it there. Gaming.unlv.edu. Uh, go to the reports page and it's right there. National commercial, United States commercial casino revenues.
0: Murchu. report. Mucho Fantastico. Yeah. Um, so, if we're talking about. Uh, sort of what is, we got some, so we got a few topics to talk about. It's been a little bit slow, nothing earth shattering. So, um, you know, we'll see how that goes. But first off, it's always a good time to remind people about some upcoming events. And we have two, two upcoming events. Um, let's start, uh, last first, which is the Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic 2014 edition. Will be, uh, October 18th. At a location to be named, um, which we'll be getting that information out to you guys really soon. We're not uh, intentionally stalling. We've uh, we just got you know got some things <laughs> to do. We're not ready. <laughs> we are
2: intentionally stalling.
0: <laughs> we, we are we are intentionally stalling. Uh, for yes. I guess the only thing I really want to say is for those that like maybe worried that we haven't announced it yet. Uh, there is no reason for concern. Everything is fine. Uh, just. Uh, getting, you know, we're just, we have some, we have a few things to do first. So yeah, yeah. we're just, get, we're just getting a kidney removed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, we have to design the display case that it will be uh, presented in. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be, uh, as I said, in October, um, the date is firm. So, you know, feel free to book your travel and whatnot. And, uh, that's all that we have to announce so far for, for VIMP 2014. Um, it's, it's going to be great. We are working to uh, top what we've done so far, which is a, a wonderful challenge. So, um, we're excited. Uh, I can't wait to share the surprises, as Steve might say. Mm. Um, but uh, we're not ready to do that today. So, keep stay tuned. Keep listening. Maybe we'll drop some hints, or maybe not. Um, but, in the far more immediate future, we have... Mm. The Fantabulous VT10. VT10 is going to be May the 3rd. Is that right, Chuck? May 3rd?
2: Yeah, I think so. It's a week from Saturday. That's correct. May the
0: 3rd, Saturday. Why don't you tell folks what VT10 is and how
2: they can participate? Sure. Well, May 3rd is the uh, 10th anniversary of the purchase ...of the VegasTripping.com domain name. So we're having a little birthday party. It's not really a big deal at all. uh, But we're going to get together and and, uh, have some drinks... ...and see what happens that weekend at the the Golden Gate. So there's information on uh, on the old internet there. And I'll probably post something about it later today or tomorrow about... Just a reminder... For any folks who want to come, Golden Gate, 7 o'clock p.m., we're going to have a toast. And, you know, playing this one kind of loose, no organization involved. Uh, there's probably going to be a takeover of some craps tables. And uh, maybe some, I don't know, somebody's going to get arrested. I think there's going to be Canadians there. Mm. Uh, and I'm guessing a bunch of people from Georgia who are crazy. And uh, the usual californian lunatics there you
0: go yeah so i I will be there um i'm looking very much looking forward to it dave will we see you at all next weekend
1: yeah i should be there i should definitely be there
0: excellent um, so that's going to be fun. I, Chuck, I forgot, I didn't, I didn't really get to introduce you. Of course, you're Chuck Monster, the former editor-in-chief and current chief gardener
2: at VegasTripping.com. Correct. Yeah. how did you know? I, I watched the interwebs. I, yeah.
0: I'm finely tuned.
2: Dude, I'm exhausted. I just chopped down like six trees and cut them up and stuff. So I'm sorry for being a little scatterbrained, but. That's a lot of work. I think I've got sunstroke and and calluses <laughs> which is what this is hard for a guy who sits behind a desk most of the time <laughs> yeah um
0: so yeah vt10 it's gonna be a lot of fun very much looking forward to it uh so yeah anybody that can should uh, should come out and have fun like chuck said should be a informal good time yeah um all right let's talk about a few things uh I guess we'll start with the most recent information, which is um, the earnings for Las Vegas Sands Corp. Uh, You know, we sometimes talk about earnings on this show. Hello, Sid. Hi, Sid. Uh, But uh, they're not always as interesting as, you know, sometimes they're more interesting than others. And in this case, I think this seems to fall into the category of another earnings report. that uh, you know isn't all that exceptional. I don't mean that in the way that didn't they didn't do well. It looks like their profits were up thirty six percent, which is great. But it looks like more sort of more of the same, really, right? <laughs> so it was it was driven by Macau. Um, that was where they made uh, most of their big uh, big increase. Um, I guess in the in the uh, in the call, Sheldon Adelson said that he doesn't see a slowdown. So of course, some analysts have been asking if. Um, you know, when this demand is going to be satiated in Macau and he seems to believe that it's going to keep on going. So, uh, if he's right, they, uh, they're in the right spot. The Las Vegas stuff down 7%, uh, Venetian Palazzo complex, but it looks like their ADRs are actually up and their ref bar was up a little bit. So, um, some interesting figures. I did notice that the baccarat play was again strong, Dave. I know you uh, watch those numbers pretty carefully, so it's interesting to see. I don't, you know, I don't really feel like this is much of a surprise, as anyway. This seems kind of like where I th- where you would expect them to land. Is that, that sound about right, Dave?
1: Yeah, you know, baccarat's definitely important. We know that they, that at that at that casino in particular, it's a huge part of their casino wins. So that really doesn't surprise me at all. There's if you're making money in Vegas in a casino these days, pretty much doing it from baccarat.
0: Yeah, that seems. And
1: they're making money, so yeah,
0: yeah, that seems to be their deal. Las Vegas stands still has not replaced their websites with new ones. They put up. They of course got hacked, and they took down their previous websites that were, you know, full featured and had. A- You know, pages for each attraction and restaurant and stuff. They put up these little temporary, like, one-pager WordPress-y things after that happened. And they still haven't replaced them with anything new. So, uh, I I watch these websites all the time for Vegas-made stuff. And I've noticed that they still have their crappy websites up. So, I I wish they would fix that.
2: Did they make any mention of hacking or... Cost fallout or expenses yeah. related thereto in the call? I, so I didn't listen to the call. I scanned a
0: news report about it. So it didn't mention it. I was actually wondering that same thing, if they spoke to that. Because it sounds like there's probably a really interesting story there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I didn't see anything in the review journal story about the earnings. So I um, haven't would had they, a chance to look at the transcript.
2: Would they be required by uh, SEC rules to state – what how that may or may not have negatively impacted earnings hmm i don't know
0: that's an interesting question i guess if they could materially tie it to some if if it was like a material event they may have been forced to disclose it uh it's an interesting question hmm. my understanding sec wise though is that the the org is like somewhat toothless in general like if you don't of course there's some stuff that you can't get away with not disclosing but some of the stuff that's in the gray area like if you don't feel like disclosing it a lot it seems like a lot of companies don't really feel super compelled to they're not that scared of the sec <laughs> sure. they they haven't they don't have a track record of these massive like criminal actions of taking companies down
2: well, they may not, but certainly investors have access to lawyers and they love to sue companies for class action. They do. If they don't get the proper information, if they're not given the right guidance. Because if, if, let's say that that thing caused them and still is an ongoing problem right, uh, is keeping them from taking reservations or sure. whatever things. So I, I – that –
0: Of course, possibility in in this particular case, since they're making a shit ton of money, I think investors are like,
2: eh, whatever.
0: Yeah, that's you know, it solves, it heals all wounds. the the green the green back. Yeah. Um. All right. Moving on from that, just stupendously, incredibly awesome and interesting tidbit. Uh, we will talk next about the strip has a new hotel, a new old hotel. Um. Of course, the Cromwell is the property of which I speak—the 188-room hotel that was formerly Bill's Ruten Tootin' Gambling Hall and Saloon, and before that, the Barbary Coast. Um, Parent Caesar's Entertainment, you know, ripped down to the studs. Hi, Sid. Pretty much. Hi, Sid. Pretty much fully rebuilt the entire place, and um, it is now sort of in this soft opening phase where they're—they've got guests coming in. They're going to do an official sort of grand reopening sometime late in May. Uh, but uh, they've got the main casino in the rooms open, at least. Their new signature Giardia, whatever Giardia, whatever Giada, name is, restaurant, is not yet open. And the rooftop club complex uh, is not open yet either. Uh, but we see people staying in there. I've seen a bunch of pictures of the casino floor. Um, you know, it looks nice. Dave, have you been inside the Cromwell? I've not. What kind of Center for Gaming Research Director are you?
1: Office. I'm at the center. <laughs>
0: <laughs> good answer.
1: It's not in the center.
0: <laughs> good good answer. Um I, you know, I would say I'm curious about this place uh at least a little bit. You now it's got a really great location. Um and there's something at least I can imagine said you really need to stop doing that. Uh, <laughs> there's uh it's it's uh I think the idea of a really small hotel is potentially interesting, right? I mean, of course, we've got, like, the hotel-within-hotel thing that Winds done for ages and Four seasons. Um, But it's more, like, maybe closer to Nobu. But even then, they have a lot of infrastructure. Anyway, I think it's interesting. It's really small, 188 rooms. Um, Though, you know, to build the um, pool deck thing that they're doing, they had to create this, like, massive structure to support half of it. And so, unless I'm missing something, like, half of those guest rooms have, like, the worst view on Earth.
1: I've been trying to figure that out, too. When I'm driving by it, I've just been trying to – and I kind of took a walk around it a couple – I think it's like two weeks ago now, just trying to see what, what would it look like. And it was I, – I still can't really figure it out.
0: Yeah. I I mean there's this like big overhang thing that they built for, stru- I assume, yeah. structural support. Um, so, yeah, it seems like you'd be really unlucky if you got one of those.
1: Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's uh, a uh, canopy room.
0: There you go. Yeah, that's it do. Um, so, you know, what is, does this move the needle for you guys at all? Are you interested? I mean, is it exciting? It, I guess, Dave, I'd love to hear that from both of you, but is this the kind of thing that got any razzle dazzle in the local, you know, vibe where people like, Oh, the Cromwell is opening or is it just like, Oh, that place is open.
1: I think people are happy. I think anytime, you know, the, the post-recession feeling is anytime anything opens, people are glad that. Somebody's hiring and creating jobs, so I think it's it's viewed as a positive from that. What strikes me about me is how cosmopolitan-esque it is. At least the color scheme mm-hmm. with the purple and the you know looking at the online galleries. The, there's this one shot if you were on the Cromwell Opens Casino floor. Gallery in the Las Vegas Sun image twenty two of twenty three. It's these three guys with I think they're bowler hats, but I'm not really a hat guy, so I don't uh, know. Yeah, in uh. these gray suits with purple ties. Yeah, that is very very cosmo esque. So I find that interesting. And then in another photo gallery, there's some guy who. For some reason kind of reminds me of Call Rogo from uh, Game of Thrones <laughs> with uh, Showgirl or something. Yes. So the, it's, it's kinda of, it's interesting how they're doing it. The photos um uh,
0: definitely the, I actually consider what I've seen in some of those photos to be a turn off. Like it seems very hipstery, which I immediately my alarm bells are going off. Um, the thing that I I like I you know the interior is based on the fo- based on the photos to me look kind of cool so I'm interested to see the other thing that really strikes me about it is it's unmistakably Bill's Barbary Coast when you look at the pictures <laughs> of the casino like it just of course they did a ton of work but it just it it you know the layout is exactly the same right for obvious reasons yeah. but it it just it it looks like the, a Photoshop version of a picture of Bill's it to some degree
1: well it's funny for me. To think about it too, because I'm just imagining that this is going to be the trend, and we're going to see a lot of other casinos do this, where they just kind of rip everything out, or they rip stuff out and, and transform it. So, sort of like what happened with the Quad, although that casino was much is you know has definitely been uh, scrambled in there. It's not indistinguishable from uh, Imperial Palace. Right. How about yeah? I was just thinking, trying to riff on the uh, Arthur C. Clarke there. Like any casino re- redesign ah. that is. Sufficiently advanced as indistinguishable from imperial palace, but can't do it. <laughs> I don't know. That just popped my head. So um, yeah, it's kind of it's interesting. So is every so ten years from now is everything going to get renovated this way, and they're going to do the same thing to Bally's and Flamingo and a lot of the other properties? You know, maybe Circus Circus, where they're also going to get renovated and uh, made sleek. I don't can, know. Can
0: you imagine? Uh, I mean, the the building it in this case isn't that large, but can you imagine? setting up scaffolding to to do a, you know, down to the studs renovation of a huge mega resort like the Mirage or something. I mean, it would be massive, massive amount of work. That would be. Be interesting, though. Um, Chuck, how excited are you about the Cromwell? How much do you love the name the Cromwell? How sad are you that Gansevoort is not going to be in Las Vegas? And when (laughs) is your first... When are you checking into the hotel?
2: Oh, boy. You know, I... uh... I don't really care about the Cromwell. I,
0: uh... Yeah,
2: I guess so. It's, you know, (laughs) it's, uh, it's pretty obvious that this is, uh, Caesar's attempt to have something in the cosmopolitan pecking order, within something cosmopolitan-ish in their pecking order, um, so folks can... You know, well, they'll be able to retain people that might otherwise find interest other interest and ways to blow their total rewards points at their properties as opposed to moving. So I cut down six trees today, man. I'm kind of <laughs> like, my brain is not exactly working, but you get the point, right? So, they 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 added this thing. It it does what it does. You know, they painted the inside of a shoebox. It's still a shoebox. Um, so. I don't. I don't don't necessarily care, but I am. Was thinking about going there on Friday, next Friday night, to go check it out. Yep. I want to know what kind of trees. Uh, they're probably about. They weren't. They weren't. I don't even know what kind they were. They were planted by the previous owner of my house. Yes. Real tall. Well, not that tall. They're about mm, twenty-five feet tall. My God. So. That's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. Uh, so did you chop it down bit by bit, or was it like a
1: cartoon where you just saw it at the bottom <laughs> and said timber? And it.
2: I did that. I sawed it at the bottom, and I said timber, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Three, four, five times, and then I got tired of saying timber. <laughs> um,
0: back to uh, Cromwell for a moment. Where I don't believe there are any trees, or uh, palm trees, I guess, putting on the there roof. Are trees. I'll, I take that back. Actually, oh, there
1: are. Okay, this was something I wanted to mention. The design oh, type. Thing. Okay, go ahead. Um, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. It's really interesting because the garage. So the so you've seen you can see from all those shots what the color scheme of the outside is. Right. It's that kind of yellowish, pale yellowish. Mm-hmm. The garage isn't white. It's kind of this. It's gray concrete. It's it just seems to me that it's the deliberately not white color, not just the regular white concrete garage, but it doesn't match the yellow color. And I was waiting for them to paint it to match the yellow color, and they never did. Huh. So I don't know why. I don't know if they're consciously trying to say, well, this thing isn't part of this glamorous complex or what it is. its just It struck me as an interesting thing. I would have thought that they would make it consistent because there's a little elevator tower that is painted that pale yellow. Huh. Connect. You'll see it when you, when you see it when you're Yeah, 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 yeah. I just costs. was wondering huh, what was the yeah I, I guess it could be cost but then why not just have it be plain white concrete like every other garage? Uh,
0: the one thing that I wanted to ask was, of course, we know we all know that um, you know Caesar's Entertainment is not flush with cash, right? They uh, have huge debt that they need to pay down. Is doing this project? I mean, they had an operating casino before; it was obviously bringing in something. So, is whatever, however much more this place is going to bring in, enough of a reason to not take the money that they use to do all this work and, you know, pay down debt or do something else with it?
1: Well, Chuck, do you want to jump in?
2: I can't pretend to make sense of any decision Caesars is going to make regarding money.
1: Yeah.
0: I I don't know what their projections are for this, right? I'm sure that they have run that exact equation and they liked this idea more. Um, You're right. I mean, they do seem to do things. They they constantly, you know, we all, the narrative on them is that they have no money and then they keep like buying casinos and renovating casinos.
2: I, I don't remember exactly the, I think this was paid for by the the Paulson percentage I think right it didn't wasn't that part of the fundraising that and and a bond to to pay for this specific project i've I've lost track of their financial yeah, mumbo yeah that and I think it was also the sale of uh, planet Hollywood to itself right I think was what was what raised the funds for for this so. You know, obviously, the Flamingo's next. They have a master plan here. This is the Harris America master plan deal that they're going to chip away at, and Harris will be the last piece of the puzzle. Maybe that's the next piece. Hmm. I don't know, but I kind of I you know, you can't have all these other new things and then have you know pock marks of of cockroaches between them. So the Flamingo's next, I'd guess. Dave, what do you think about this?
1: Well, what I'm thinking is, you know, going back a couple of years and saying, why would they make this decision? You look at what happened with Encore, where Steve Wynn spent what was it, seventy million dollars on Encore Beach Club.
0: Yeah, something after, like
1: that. After and apparently did quite well with that, and made, I forget what the how much money it made in the first year. Yeah. But apparently made a ton of that money back really quickly. So I guess they're figuring, well, huh? If he could spend seventy million and make that money back, we could spend 185 million. We've got Victor Dre running the club, so that'll be pretty much locked down. We know that's going to do great. And we've got whatever kind of spinoff for these rooms. It's not a ton of rooms. Although, I don't know. You you look at it from a conservative point of view saying, well – bills is making money it's not making a ton of money but it's not doesn't require a ton of money and i guess they figure they need to do something to try to try to make more money so i can see how on paper it would work in practice if it does you know i don't know but it's definitely possible that it could and you know that's probably the same reasoning behind putting hawkus on in mgm grand
0: oh that's my next one let's talk about that real fast so uh, you know this at least for me seemed to sort of come out of nowhere um We've known, I think, for quite a while that MGM Resorts International Limited Incorporated wanted wants to expand uh, to the you know globally. They want to they they I believe that they feel like they have some very valuable brands and that those could be used on properties all over the world. Some non gaming and some gaming and whatever. Uh, so they've had this ambition for quite some time. They had a business unit set up to do this stuff, uh, but then they announced uh, I don't know was it last week that they are Uh, they are going to be partnering up with the folks at Hakkasan to make this all happen. Um, they're creating a new company that's going to be called MGM Hakkasan Hospitality. Great name. Um, that's going to do this stuff, which I, I was like, huh, I didn't, I guess the huh on my part was not realizing that Hakkasan was as big of a player as this implies, is, is, oh, I, should I be got surprised?
1: A, it's I'm, definitely got an international name, so it's a brand. So if you're looking for another brand, it's definitely in that nightlife restaurant space internationally and it seems like that's what they want to do here, so it makes some sense from that perspective.
0: Yeah. Uh it just I, for me it just uh, I was not expecting um expecting something like this. It, it's interesting that MGM you know felt like they had to partner that they couldn't just do this stuff on their own. I guess it speaks to uh, the continued strength of all this nightlife stuff around, you know, in, not just in Vegas, but around the world.
1: Yeah, I think so.
2: Interesting stuff. Uh, I, I I think this is a uh, hmm. This is like this is like brand is yeah. what this is. This is like brand asset. This is not – there's nothing going to happen with this because they've been trying to build Bellagios all over the world, right? Are there any? Not that I know of. Exactly. They've been trying to build MGM Grand Hotels all over the world. Are there any besides Macau and uh, Detroit. domestic? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: No. Isn't there one in China? Oh, maybe. Or did that?
0: It's also possible – there's, there's probably one that they didn't pay a license for the name for.
1: <laughs> oh, like the wind, like <laughs> right. all those uh, – yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: The knockoffs. Yeah. I, I th- you know, my opinion means nothing, but it seems to me like this is just whatever. This is just like let's partner up. They're trying, they're trying to lock Hawkeson into something, but it's never gonna gonna pan out unless they build it in Vegas. I don't see where this is gonna go. This is hmm. like the Nobu Towers deal. Same yeah. thing. Interesting.
0: That's an interesting angle, though. Like, hey, we want to. We want to sort of own these guys. And so yeah. we're going to bring them into this deal so that we don't even know if it's going to do, if anything will come out of it, but they won't be doing deals with anybody else if they do a deal with us.
2: Well, they tried to do this. There was all sorts of talk that they were going to do this with uh, Light Group not all that long ago. Right. Inclu- including the Harmon, you know? That was going to be their nightclub hotel. Right.
1: So let's bring the first two topics together in the circle of life here. So what happens is they take. Circus Circus, strip it down to the studs, and redo it as Hakkasan, Las Vegas. Interesting, and then it's adjacent to the Rock and Rio, Detroit Rock City, whatever it's called. Um, yeah, development there.
0: Let's talk about that for a minute. Like, what is the story with that? I, that seems like such a strange, strange it's, idea.
1: It's interesting to me from a couple of perspectives. First of all, is the location of it. It's da- you know, it's down on that land. MGM's closest asset is, is Circus Circus and it's not on the land. Oh. It's not on the land across from Sorry, my phone is ringing.
0: This is the center. Welcome to the center. Yeah,
1: it's it's neither here nor there, okay? Um, it's, it's not on that it's not in that. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not on that land across from Luxor, which is where I thought they were doing an events thing. Um, remember a couple yeah. months ago they got canceled. Count- so, I'm assuming this is scaled up. It seems to me like it's a pretty Good deal for them where hey, we've got this land, we're not planning any developments on it anyway, and this is gonna, I think it's licensed through 2019. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, for the next five years, we've got this piece of land that wasn't doing anything for us, and now it's gonna be doing something for us. Yeah, so it seems like it's a pretty good deal for them.
0: I'd say, I mean, yeah, you gotta think so, right? I mean, something's better than nothing, yeah.
1: And it also, from from this perspective, it gives them some time to say, "All right, well, by what's going to be happening in 2019, well SLS will have done what they're going to do? Is um, Resorts World going to be open yet? Maybe. So if Resorts World is open and the market is looking up, and you know, if they get in a 2018 and things are looking good and room rates are staying up, then hey, well, what do you know? We're going to develop something there. And yeah. if not, they don't have to."
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, well, it, it, I, I'm sure that the folks at SLS are happy to have anything other than a dirt lot.
1: Yeah, I've got to think they are. They're going to they they rebuild
2: the old rancho.
0: There you go. <laughs> so they can burn it down.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: speaking of the Strip uh, and people building stuff and restoring stuff and renovating stuff, there is a large, very expensive hotel that has been somewhat troubled since its opening, financially. That hotel is known as the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Rumors surfaced this week, as they do every other week, (laughs) that someone (laughs) is buying the hotel. Um, Robin Leach jumped to the top of his building and preached from the rooftops. Uh, You know, so uh, the, the good folks at Deutsche Bank that own the property... Um, you know, for a long time, we've seen that they are clearly sort of posturing, moving themselves into position to theoretically sell it. I mean, they changed the way that they sort of hold it, hold it on their books and whatnot, which seemed like an indication. Um, for whatever reason, these rumors that are persistent uh, flared up again just recently with some actual numbers and theoretically real interest attached. But there is some question as to uh, whether the numbers that have been thrown out are even close to viable. Um, I think uh, the figure that is rumored is about $2 billion, I believe something like that. Yes. Which is uh, experts agree, probably
1: not very likely. Does that sound, does anyone want to comment on this? Sure. You know, I, and I commented this on Facebook and on the uh, VT it's, You know, if you look at a multiple of seven times EBITDA, which is kind of the industry standard, you get about $700 and change, which is kind of what I thought it might go at. Yeah. And you don't get anywhere near $2 billion. Yeah. And the reason why you would pay that much more than the multiple is it's – a situation like it's the new frontier, right. and you're going to blow it up and build something else. Well, you right. know, well, you're not going to do that there. And the most you're going to say is, "Hey, we're going to find new operational efficiencies. We're going, you know, as these restaurant deals expire, maybe we'll take some of these and take them in house and and get more revenue that way." So you're looking at adding incremental incremental revenue. not totally, "Hey, we're going to completely blow this up." And you know, I don't know how much more juice you can wring out of it as it is. You know, yeah. are you going to be able to raise the room rates? incredibly I would think not certainly you could do more casino marketing but that's I mean I think they've been trying to do that for the past four years
0: yeah I so the question then of course is uh, irrespective of whether or not this two billion dollar interest is bullshit which it sounds like it must be because people that have two billion dollars aren't stupid um you know would Deutsche Bank sell it for 700 million dollars I mean that's such a huge loss what was the total to build four billion I mean that's that's, an, that's a huge, huge,
1: huge loss. It is. And I, you know, I'm not an investment banker, so I don't know whether there's a, as big of a difference between losing $2 billion and losing $3.7 billion or $3.3 3 billion as right. there is between breaking even and losing $2 billion. I don't see how they could ever break even in this. So no matter when they sell it, they're going to lose money. The question is how much more money are they going to lose running it at a, a loss?
2: Yeah.
0: I, you know, let's – if we play the speculation game here for a minute and talk about – eventually Cosmopolitan is going to be sold to somebody, right? Deutsche Bank is not in the casino business. Who knows how long it will take for them to find the buyer they want and the price they want. But eventually it's going to be bought by somebody else. Um, who would we like to have own uh, this casino? So, of course, geographically – MGM Resorts would be the obvious candidate because it sits right between two of their properties. So, you know, that would give them a contiguous space. Um, So they would obviously like to do that. Uh, They don't seem to be, you know, they're the other big casino conglomerate that is trying to pay off its debts. And they don't seem to be in the acquisition mood. Uh, That doesn't seem to be what what they're doing, especially something like that. Though I guess if the price was right, they probably couldn't say no. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, but
1: do they need 3,000 more rooms in Vegas right now?
2: Nobody does. Right right next to each other? Yeah. You know, they can't even fill what they got.
0: So what's the most, what's the best possible scenario? A new entrant? Go ahead, Dave, go
1: ahead. I don't know this for sure, and I'm not going to try to look it up. I don't believe Cosmopolitan is LEED certified, although I could be wrong. Ah. Do you guys know if it is? I don't know. And I believe they've committed to all of their new projects being LEED certified. Ah, problem at gold or somewhere I don't know the exact certification, but I'm pretty sure I read that in the Convention Center press release today that they're committed to all their future projects being gold certified. So from that perspective, it might it doesn't seem to fit in with their their strategy. Yeah.
0: That's interesting. So going back to my question, uh, what would be the Sort of the most interesting scenario: a new market entrant. I mean, the one of the rumors was James Packer doing doing a thing, a deal to get into this property. Would, it, would that be uh, would that be good for the strip? Chuck, you stayed at his place in Macau. What, you liked it, right?
2: Oh man, you know I stayed at the Crown in Macau. This is before the uh, the one in Cotai opened. And the hotel was just stunning. It was gorgeous. It was gorgeous, and the service was fantastic. It was probably in my top three hotel stays ever. It I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And I have been looking forward to going back to that hotel ever since they changed the name. I forget what the new name is, but it used to be called The Crown. Now it's called The Something or Another. Um, I, you know, you know uh, Packers... He's been kicking it around in town, right? Doesn't he own a chunk of the canneries and a couple other things and he had there were they were going to build that crown over the uh the Crown Las Vegas, the tall Burj Dubai yeah. style spire hotel where the Wet and Wild is. Yeah. Like ages ago. That was he sunk a bunch of money into that one too. But I don't know. I don't see I, They'd be stuck with the same problem as what Cosmopolitan has now because they don't have the U.S. database to bring people in. I think that a domestic operator, somebody with boats maybe partnering with Packer would get that job done, would be able to buy it and be able to run it and have it have it work. Yeah.
0: I, you know, think about some of the other unlikely candidates, like the other operators that are already there in Vegas, Wynn Resorts. I mean, no, that doesn't make any sense, right? You can't. Also, it's hard to imagine Steve Wynn is so down on the United States as a place to invest money. I, it's hard to imagine him wanting to pump a bunch of money into a place that he didn't design and build. Um, Sheldon Allison, the Venetian. I mean,
2: you know, again, it just doesn't seem to make much sense. Yeah. You know. I don't think anybody who's in Macau is going to buy another property in Vegas. So, well, Caesars Entertainment needs more stuff. They all, they're always shopping. Yeah. Um,
0: it would be interesting to see what would happen if it did sell, right, to see uh, what they could possibly change. But, you know, they're, they're s- in many ways they're stuck. It's, it is difficult to imagine a dramatic reshuffling of the place no matter who ends up with it.
2: I got some pretty solid rumors a few months ago that Yemenisian was looking at it too.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Oh wow!
2: Yeah, and that was, you know, it was it was it seemed somewhat plausible. Hey, why not? You know, he would be smart enough to get that thing for a deal, and he knows the people who have the money, and he has the experience. Obviously, what whether or not the trop's throwing off enough loot to uh, keep that whole thing af- afloat is another story. But that would be the first step in a, in a platform, possibly Landry's, too.
0: You know, it would be – yeah, Landry's is interesting. What would be really crazy would be if somehow one of these nightclub companies could raise enough money to buy it, right, to sort of skip ahead in the line and uh, go from their place now where they're you know doing clubs and jump into the hotel game. It probably would be a gigantic disaster, but it would be interesting to watch.
2: You know, (laughs) Robin Robin Leach should buy it. Yeah? He already owns a condo there, doesn't he? It's still in dispute somewhere at the top of one of those towers. I think that's right, actually. they could call it the leechapolitan. Oh,
0: there you go. <laughs>
2: there you go. Um,
0: I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. The rumors have seemed to have faded as quickly as they flared up, which seems to be the way that these things always go. So, You know, uh,
2: Cosmopolitan rumors are not bullshit. They're elephant shit because it burns hmm. longer. Hmm. You light elephant shit on fire and it burns for like a week. I did not know that. Yeah. Me neither. Yeah. You watch enough Survivor, man, you learn things. Like that. <laughs> um, all right, so that's Cosmopolitan. I want to touch
0: on a few other stories. We got a sort of grab bag of stuff, and then there's uh, a VT piece and a Vega Seven piece that I want to talk about. Both of those. So let's do quickly run through a couple of grab bag things for the, if nothing else, for the sake of uh, posterity, for the historical record, as they say. Yes. Um, Downtown Grand opened with much fanfare. Uh, it, end of 2013. Um, the component that did not open with the hotel was called Picnic, a pool deck type meeting place, Taekwondo practice area, <laughs> Dojo, <laughs> <laughs> Cobra Con Dojo. Yes. Uh, uh, and um, so it is now opened. Uh, it is now you know getting into the warmer time of the year, and they're now doing people. The thing about it though. Uh, Which unfortunately seems to be synonymous with other things I hear about the property is that it's empty. Like I've seen people post Instagram pictures from Picnic uh, Friday night, Saturday night, and literally five people there. Uh, Which is kind of gnarly for something that was supposed to be a huge big thing for them. So, of course, the question is why? Um, Did they severely miscalculate the market? Um, Are they not? really promoting it yet? Like, is it just not up to speed? Is it not really going yet? Is it unfair to judge at this point? Um, but it seems so far like they have a lot of work to do if they want to realize the vision as it was originally articulated. Chuck, are, when, when are you going to picnic?
2: Uh, I'm not, but, well, in October, I'm going to picnic, but uh, not that one. I'm going to a different one. Um, <laughs> you know, I asked uh, John H. VT. Yep, pal. I asked him. He went. He stayed at Downtown Grand twice, and one week he was there was Chinese New Year. And I asked him. I said, "Well, you know, do me a favor. I'm curious. Go take a look at the restaurant, the Chinese restaurant, and the uh, Asian gaming alcove,
0: <laughs> and
2: see if there's anybody there. You know, when we, when we did the tour." Uh, what's his name? The guy whose name I forget. He, uh, they made a, a strong argument to us that they were going to really market hard to Asian gamers, right? Yes, including having offices in Hong Kong, etc. And I asked John, I was like, "Well, let's see. Here's here's the opportunity, right? It's Chinese New Year week. Is there anybody there, John? There's nobody there." And the other time that he went, I asked him again, "Is there anybody there?" And I met him in the whole joint. And he said, "No." Yeah. So he stayed in the hotel twice on two occasions, and both times it was empty. And there's like a carnival barker on the street with a like a spin the wheel and come in and you know win a sweater kind uh-huh. of deal, yep. you know, yep. Yep. just like they have at the front door of the Riviera, trying to get people scream at them to come into the hotel.
0: So, yeah, I mean, it seems like they were really having a lot of trouble bringing people in, right? And yep. it, it's not – one of the things we talked about when we had Zach on the show for Vimp was – Yeah, Zach. to Was to – you know, one of the questions we asked uh, was, you know, how, how are you going to get people over there, right? It's not very far into, like, physical distance, but it's sort of like – it almost is like another world in it. Just people see – only see what's right in front of them, and Dude. it's a lot harder to get them to go – over there than, um, then, then might seem obvious, right? It uh, looks far
2: when you're drunk.
0: Yeah, it does. And it's dark and you know, it just, it's, it's tough. It's hard. You changing people's behavior is really hard. Yep. Um, and I, I'm wondering, you know, they, they talked about some of the things they were doing to make it, that walkway seem more pleasant. And, you know, they're doing a lot of stuff on a street level to try and amp up the energy there. In uh, places like Pizza Rock, people seem to really like. Uh, a yeah. lot of happy reports from that restaurant, just mm-hmm. right on the corner there. Um, but it is you know, it's starting to wonder: are they just not solved that problem, and is that just a huge issue? And again, that goes back to, not to get totally sidetracked, but it goes back to my primary worry about SLS, which is like the people at the location, if. It, it's it's hard to get people to compel them to get to come in your spot is yeah. so I'm wondering if that's if that's going to be a huge problem for them. But as far as picnic goes, you know, I think at least the impression I got was a lot of their marketing. They were planning to market to some of the Zappos type people that are down in that area. Maybe come after work and do some Taekwondo. Um, <laughs> but is that not working? I mean, Dave, I know that you spend all your time, you know, polishing your mustache and hanging out of the <laughs> Hanging out in the Zappos complex. What what are your cohorts at the uh, at the Gold Spike today about the picnic?
1: I've really heard anybody talk about it, to be honest. Um, it's I, I think a lot of locals are kind of feeling it out and seeing if there's something there that they like, as, you know, as far as the whole casino goes, not just to picnic. So I haven't really heard too much about it. Yeah. It
0: seems like no one has, unfortunately, for them. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I uh, have a... Brief stay coming up a little bit later in May for in Vegas, and I'm going to check stay there and check it out. So I will be able to report from the front lines of the picnic experience. Um, all right, well, I hope for their sake that they get their shit together. Um, moving across over to Fremont Street, uh, two, we've had two attractions open that maybe are footnotes in the Las Vegas experience, but some people seem to think they're a big deal. So let's quickly... <laughs> That that sounded really dismissive. I didn't. I didn't mean that to sound as dismissive as it sounded. Um, well, that's
2: the that's the hype machine. Yeah. everything. You know, everything's a big deal.
0: The most important thing
2: ever. Yeah, it's all the greatest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's sit us downtown. Let's start there. Slotzilla,
0: the zipline replacement anchor thing. That uh, you know there was a zipline downtown for a long time. It did better than I think some people expected. Uh, then they kicked those people out. Sorry people. And they built their own. Um, and the, the sort of anchor piece of it is this giant slot machine. I think it's the world's biggest slot machine. I believe. Is that right? I don't know. It's big. It's not really a real slot machine. It's like a, you know, whatever. Um, so it's been under construction for ages. It seems like it's taken forever to be completed. Like I remember when they were originally talking about it opening, and it seems like that was a long time ago. Um, but it is now finally taking people. Um, so this thing is open. I kind of don't imagine it's gonna change anything downtown since there already was a zip line. I mean, the people that liked it might ride this new one. It, but it's not like it's not any it's not significantly more exciting than the old zip line was. I don't think. <laughs> So I but, don't, it's a, but it's the
2: world's tallest imitation slot machine.
0: I don't. I mean, it seems like it's great and, that it's there, but it won't move the needle at all. And it's new and it's shiny. It is shiny for now until it gets puked on by carnies, um, hipsters. Uh,
1: <laughs> carnies or hipsters or carny hipsters.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Sipsters. I don't know. That doesn't. That doesn't really work. Um, I slotzilla. Whatever. It's open now. Go check it out. Uh, The other big thing, which is at least bigger in stature, if not in importance, is the high roller, the observation wheel, which again, is this like the world's biggest observation wheel or so tallest? You know, everyone with their biggest and tallest. Um, It is now open. It is the sort of centerpiece of the link, right? The link is the shopping and dining uh, area between flamingo and the quad that was built out of the smelly alley and um at the very back is this gigantic ferris wheel thing um that takes people around you pay money to get in this like super claustrophobic little box and it takes you around uh while you look at las vegas so you know this is uh everybody can see this thing because it's just gigantic so it 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 seems to be garnering some attention. Uh, I don't think any of us have gone on the high roller yet, Um, so I don't think we can speak from personal experience. But is it something that you're excited about? We've talked about it on the show before because it is, as it was announced and then being constructed. um, You know, for me, it's not something that I'm super excited about, though I may end up trying it sometime. Uh, You know, what do you guys think? Is this is this going to be an important? Is this going to – I guess what I really want to know is, you know, for years we had, like, the, the stuff that you had to do. Like, I'm coming to Vegas for the first time. What is the stuff I have to do? And people would say something like, well, you got to see the Fountains of Bellagio, and you got to go to the Mirage and watch the volcano. And you, there's this pirate ship thing, sinking thing at Treasure Island. You should go check that out. Sigfried and Roy. Sigfried and Roy. Stratosphere Tower. Like, go to the buffet. Yeah. Is this, <laughs> is this going on that list, or is this not something that
1: gets to that level? I think for some people, it definitely goes on the list. Okay. And, you know, I don't know how many, but I think there's some people for whom this will be something that they have to do. For whatever reason, wheels like this seem to be pretty popular around the world. And with them trying to get more international folks in here, I could see a lot of international folks really doing this. I think if you also look at the potential for group sales, yep. you know, your convention group, doing weddings and stuff like that, I think it be, could be pretty popular.
0: Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, uh, what, I, what I'll be really wondering – what I'm be cu- really curious about is if they have stats on repeat, vis- on repeat visits. My guess is it's one of those things that's one and done and you don't see a lot of repeats. But um, I'd, be, I'd love to get data on that in the future. I'm sure they'll never release it, but well, it would let's be get fascinating. Well, da-
2: let's get some data right now. How many times have you been to the top of the stratosphere? Two for me. I have been there two times.
1: If you include eating, eating at the restaurant, I think three.
2: Three. Yeah. But I don't think And it- you live there.
1: Yeah, I don't think ever just to hey let's let me go up to the top of this. Race. But that's not my thought. I don't I don't like I don't like this kind of rides. So, how many times have I been to the gun store? I think twice. Yeah, but I'm not a big firearms enthusiast. So <laughs> I've been once. You know, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't really. I'm not the best. Uh, Whatever that word is. Sample for that.
0: Yeah, I uh, you know it'll do well. I think it's it seems obvious that it's one of those things that uh, you really want to ride it at night. I mean, the Las Vegas skyline is interesting, but given how, where this thing is positioned and how it's situated, um, it seems like, you know, the views are, you know, on one side you've got a view of just like the flat expanse of suburbia, and, and on the other side you get a couple of buildings that you're sort of right next to, but it's not, if you, were, if you were positioning this thing for the best possible view of the Strip, you wouldn't put it there.
1: Where would you put it? Uh, I don't know. You
0: would put it, I think you'd want to have a little bit more, um, well, so for one thing, it's sort of where it's situated on that side of the strip back in the back. I mean, you're seeing a lot of like the Bally's parking garage and that kind of stuff. If, if you really could put it anywhere, you know, maybe you'd put it right in the median <laughs> of Las okay. Vegas Boulevard. Um, if you really, I mean, obviously that's not practical, but in, in terms of where it is, they obviously put it where they could not where they would, if they had unlimited canvas. Um, anyway, high roller now open
2: at the link. If that's your thing, go check it out. Okay. Do you uh, think that this is going to affect other properties? Like, think about the view. Like, where people people ask all the time on forums, Twitter, where is the best place to have a view? Right. And people book that one side of Cosmopolitan so they can get the view. Right. Right. Yep. So this means. Stratosphere is probably going to get a hit. It's easier to walk over there and use your total rewards points to get onto the high roller than it is to get anywhere near the stratosphere. Yeah, and go up on that thing. What about mix? Do you think what is the impact going to be on other places that are that are important for viewing? So, not having done the high roller yet, I would argue that mix is
0: probably a, still a better view. Um, plus, mix has booze. And as far as I know, the high roller, no booze allowed, right? So, um, so that I mean, that's the thing. People will go to mix to have, to have drinks, and the high roller, you know, you can't do that. So depending on how long the line is and how long you have to wait and stuff, some people will probably be dissuaded and say, I don't want to deal with this, and they'll not do it.
2: Right.
0: But, um, yeah, you know, of course, it'll probably have some impact. The stratosphere is probably, like, the most obvious thing. If people were going there just to get some picture that they wanted that they really wanted to get, then it will be a lot easier to skip it than it would have been before maybe
2: um, okay the other thing is now they're going to have to redo all that stock footage <laughs>
0: uh, yeah no they uh, unfortunately no they won't because i still oh. see that the desert inn is still in a lot of this <laughs> lot of the stock footage so uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't hold your breath in that regard mm. um i want to talk about something that was uh, published on VegasTripping.com, a website i read from time to time uh it was published by a gentleman by the name of mike uh e (laughs) and it is a sort of a love letter to bellagio um you know bellagio of course the iconic las vegas property that was built by steve Wynn and then surrendered over to jim murren uh over, I think it was a poker game that he lost I can't remember the details <laughs> but um, no longer controlled by Steve Wynn um it hasn't been for quite a while uh you know just sort of speaking of my I'll just i I'll, I'll talk about what Mike wrote in a minute or maybe Chuck I'll have you run it down but I just All right, my, you do you do okay so yeah. I'll sort of I'll frame this uh with a little bit of my own experience with uh Bellagio because it's I think. The I think my uh, the way I have experienced it over the years is, I believe, similar to others. And I think to Mike as well. So, um, you know, Bellagio opened and it was designed to be like the best. I think Steve Wynn said the best. They wanted to build the best hotel in the world. Right. So extremely ambitious. Um, And they built this incredibly beautiful property. Right. It is uh, it still is today. Just a beautiful spot. And, of course, when it opened, it was the talk of the town. It was the number one indisputed to be the best place in town. Even though it was opening in close proximity to the Venetian and Mandalay Bay that were all opening at the same time, it I think it was pretty clear that Bellagio was – it sort of had a little something special. It had some extra magic. Uh,
2: it, was, it was also derided, too. People were like, why would they spend all that money on a super luxury hotel in Vegas?
0: Those people are dumb.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Uh so you know it goes over the years when you know sells
0: ends up selling the place in 2000 so you know he really didn't operate it for all that long in in terms of its overall history and then after that it's run by the MGM folks and it really goes through uh, a little bit of a roller coaster um you know there was a definitely a period of time when it was not uh, as being invested in as it probably should have been, and there was, you know, situations with falling service levels and some, you know, just the the place itself aging in a way that was not appropriate. Uh, but it's it's had some a bit of a resurgence, and I think that's Mike Mike's uh, post was really just talking about how he sort of rediscovered it and how much he really enjoys it, and I would encourage people to just just go read it instead of having me try to completely paraphrase it. But, you know, for a long time Mike was uh, spending all of his time at at Wynn and and Encore, which of course are also very beautiful properties. Um, But there's been... It's gone through its tough period in the last few years. Uh, And, you know, some folks are not convinced that it's really gotten all the way through it, right? It's it's changed in ways that some people uh, don't like. And... um, so he, he decided to go give Bellagio a try I think he was uh, really enjoying spending more time in the center strip and at places like cosmopolitan but you know didn't want to necessarily stay there and uh, he talks about an incredible experience at Bellagio, just how fun it is I the, the thing about reading this art about reading this post is it it just um, it felt really personal and it just ran it rang true for me I feel like Bellagio has a lot of charm and it despite you know certain periods of its existence where maybe it was it uh, changes were made that maybe muted some of that uh it, it really there's something really special about it it's one of those places that there's no it's it's no there's a reason why it's still so popular this many years after it opened um and it there's a certain a magic to it that i think uh it's good to see that uh you know he talks about how you know what kind of service he was expecting and received and he was seems like he was really happy with it he had a great time he really enjoyed interacting with the employees and it just it sounded like it was a great experience it's nice to uh hear that about the such a great spot so i don't know i love reading this i love reading it
2: yeah me too i th- mike of course is a great writer and his love of vegas is pretty Astounding, and the way he he expresses himself is just so full of thoughtfulness and class and elegance. Uh, anything he writes is always fantastic, and this I thought was uh, specifically wonderful. One of the points that he, he he made was discussing. It resonated with me. Is it, I think it had a lot to do with some of the other things that we've talked about. Is how the the bartenders at Petrosian can make. You know, they've been making great cocktails forever and they don't have the waxed mustaches or the ironic bartender outfits, you know, and all that other kind of nonsense. And and to me it it resonated because like it seems like Vegas has become very, 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 very attached to chasing trends. And classic straight up elegance and you know that that whole thing of just making it right has been lost in in the search for uh hashtags basically buzzwords hashtags and shareable moments so i I thought it was it was resonant because it's something i've been feeling as well yeah so that's great Um, I just, yeah, Dave, please go ahead.
1: I just enjoy the way it was written. I'd really like to read more stuff like that where it's not somebody with an axe to grind. It's not somebody with an agenda. He's just sharing with some candor his personal experiences. He's not trying to lay blame on anybody. It's not, you know, trying to say, oh, this is terrible. These people are so stupid. He's just saying, hey, this is my experience, writing with great passion. And it's real deep writing. You know, it's not the kind of thing where people just. Get a press release and then rush it out there and have some one-off reaction. It's really you can tell a lot of thought went in, into it, so yeah. I enjoy that a lot.
0: It's it's fun, you know. There is sort of a almost romantic uh, charm to Bellagio and an open. I mean, they they built this sort of pseudo narrative type thing around it that is a popular thing to do these days, which you can debate whether or not that's a worthy enterprise, but, um, you know, this whole idea of its genesis is like in, in, in Italy and the combination of these, of the lake and these incredible restaurants and the art collection and the conservatory, um, it, it is a sort of, I mean, people might sort of grimace at this, but it is sort of a magical place. And it was sad when it sort of went down, downward trending for a while, Um, so it's, I'm glad that things are, are back where they need to be. All right. Let's see. We're going to do one more story here to close out our show. And that is a story written by a gentleman by the name of Dr. David Schwartz. Don't know this guy, but he sounds smart. Um, he's a doctor. He's a doctor. (laughs) And the title of the piece, the piece appears in uh, Vegas seven where he writes a regular column. The title is The Coming Social Gaming, in parens, Revolution. Uh, So I love these kinds of stories. I'm very interested in this stuff. Why don't you tell us what you wrote about, Dave?
1: Okay, just to tell you where I'm coming from, the conventional wisdom in Las Vegas, probably like in most other industries, is that however however you've been doing it for the past five years is how it's always been done and how it will be done in the future. <laughs> right. Okay. So I just kind of wanted to deconstruct that because I'm saying, well, wait, um, what was going on? And I had a couple. I was playing around with the leads. First of all, I was saying, well, if there had been a, you know, trade journals and gaming in the seventies, would they have had articles about, oh my God, the tables are dying and slots are taking over. And, you know, I don't know, but my, my feeling was that looking at the numbers. So going back to 1975, 78% of the revenue for all of Nevada casinos came from table games. All right. So it's 22% for slots. And anybody who says, well, slots are going to be big. You just say they're crazy. Eight years later, Slots are making more than half of the revenue right. in the in – the, so, there's, so it's, it's, it's about a decade-long change there. And if you look at the numbers, it wasn't that it flipped all of a sudden. It happened gradually. So I was taking a look at some of the numbers now and saying that, well, hey, tables seem to be creeping up in slots or at least slots seem to be losing a little bit of ground. So – That was one, so I'd been thinking about that idea. Then uh, Stephen Andrade, a professor from Johnson & Wales, came to UNLV to give a talk called Brave New Play, a Brief Look at Digital Natives Changing Play Ecosystems and Wager-Based Gaming. And before we even get, just from seeing the title and seeing the abstract, before he gave the talk, I said, you know, I'm working on this article and I think I want to talk to you about this. And I think you're going to talk about some of the things that I'm thinking about. So it was a nice little happy accident, as you might say or a little discovery there, that he came in and was talking about his research into social gaming and how people are playing now. And he hasn't really done a lot of applications in how that's going to affect gaming, but he definitely has some thoughts about what people like to see. And then it was, from there, it was just me saying, well, this is definitely going to affect it. I don't know exactly how, but it's going to be cool to see.
0: Yeah. So, I, I you know, I for... Well, I've got a bunch of stuff here. Um, for the uninitiated, maybe uh, can you just real quickly what what is social gaming? Right. So for someone that maybe is not into technology or is you know over twenty two, um, <laughs> how would you just how would you define that in a nu- nutshell?
1: Hashtag. Well, it's, it's the yeah. It's games where you're not so, so a traditional video game. You put a quarter into a. Into an arcade console or you buy a whatever it is game and either download it or put the game into your console at home and you pay for the game then you play the game right and if you win the game you don't get any money you just get the satisfaction of winning the game okay gambling you put in a not inconsiderable amount of money so it's not like you can do this for you know not like five dollars is going to last you for an hour unless you're have a lot of luck, and as you're playing, you're putting in lots of money each time to hoping to win a whole lot of money, Right. so thousands of dollars. Social gaming, you're playing these games like Candy Crush. You're kind of playing in competition sort of with other people. You're just telling people what you're doing. You're looking at what other people are doing. And a lot of times it's these freemium games where it doesn't cost you anything to sign up, but if you want to get certain add-ons, you have to pay. Yep. So what they like to call microtransactions, which kind of add up. So for example, IGT subsidiary Double Down Games has about 1.6 million people a day playing those games, and they each spend 37 cents a day on average, mm-hmm. which is terrible. So if you can, if the average person sitting down on the slot machine spent 37 cents, that casino would go out of business right away. Yeah, right? right. But. You've got 1.6 million of them, and you're not paying. You, you have to pay for R and D for the software and for all that, but you don't have to pay to to give them a device to play. So, pretty much every day the double down is going is generating more than a half million dollars for IGT. Yep. And I don't think it's going to cost, whatever it is, however much money that comes out to for a year for them to set up their, set set all that up. So it makes a lot of sense. Yep. To me, that that's where they're going. And if dollars you look to at it. it yeah. Yeah, and IG, you know, I looked at IGT's latest annual report. They're making 11% of their money from social gaming and online gaming in countries like the UK. So it's very interesting that even though they're shipping more game, more machines, the traditional machines, the social gaming is expanding by uh, proportionally a lot more. So yeah. this, is a, this isn't just like some weird academic theory. This is a real world thing. Like, we'll look at it. They're doing it now.
0: No, it's huge. So the app store, iOS app store, Uh, Which I think
1: you know a thing or two about. I
0: spend a lot of time looking at the (laughs) App Store. Uh, You know, they have top charts, and one of them is top grossing apps. Uh, And I'm looking at it right now. Number one, Clash of Clans. Number two, Candy Crush Saga. It goes on from there, right? Out of the top ten, they're all these kind of freemium games. Some of them are more uh, sort of casino-oriented than others, uh, but this is all sort of in the same uh, general m- minefield, so to speak. I mean, Big Fish Casino is number nine. right? The only one at, in this top ten that isn't a game that's at least in the same genre is Pandora. Uh, that's And the list goes on from there. There's a bunch of these apps in here. I mean, these are making a ton of money for some of these people. I think uh, the the Candy Crush company King just went public, um, and you know they were talking about how much money they're making every year from Candy Crush. It's like over a billion dollars, so it's uh, it, it's it's a big deal.
1: Yeah, and if you look at the companies who are involved in it, you've got MGM with. Um my Vegas, although right. of course they don't own that, that's not that's play studios, but you also have Caesars Entertainment, which owns several brands and makes a lot of money from that. And what I think you, we may see is we may see some integration of that in the casino floor where right. they'll take some of their brands that they have, which like, hey, if you're making millions of dollars off these brands, give it some space in your casino and see what happens. So I think that could be what happens.
0: It'll be interesting to see, right? Because of course- you know, you look at younger people and the slot machines, even to me, I'm, so I'm 35, I'll be 35 this year, um, no longer a spring chicken. But uh, if you, you know, I, the slot machines just don't excite me, right? I think I was young enough to grow up with video games and play, you know, computer stuff all the time. I don't, they don't, I don't find them as fascinating as I think maybe a generation ahead of me did, right? They, they seem to be more interested in them than people my age and it seems like that just continues to fall off the younger you go. You got to find new ways to get these people interested. They're just not going to be the 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 double diamond deluxe with cheese is not good enough.
2: Well, listen, I like the double diamond deluxe with cheese. That's and because you're old. I've oh, thanks. <laughs> well, well, by by Dave's definition in his article, I am part of the target market. Uh, as a Gen Xer, a, a cr- crotchety, <laughs> grouchy, reality-biting Gen Xer, uh, I maybe two people laughed at that one. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have grown up with slot machines, but in the last few, four, three, four, five years, you know, I don't care anymore. And it's – I don't know if it's – I'll tell you why it is. It's because you don't win. You
0: always lose, yeah.
2: You always lose. You always lose. The money just goes in and comes out. So the best way to keep people playing is to have a bunch of quarters fall out of the bottom of the machine. You know, so you get some money, you see, hey, wow, you won, even if it's a hundred bucks. Great. But now, it, you know, it, at least for my experience, it, I used to be able to go and maybe not lose all my money instantly. Yeah. But in the last four or five years, I don't. I don't win a penny at all, ever.
0: See now with you know these social games, we can have a leaderboard, so I can tell <laughs> that you're better at losing than I am.
2: <laughs> well, I, the, so what? You know, having a leaderboard's not going to buy my dinner or a new guitar or whatever, a t-shirt in the gift shop or jewelry for my wife. No, you're right. It's not. I guess
0: it's sort of an interesting ancillary topic, and I don't know what if there is data on this or what it shows but in just i mean i'm sure you could look at you know a slot win drop those kind of figures like are the slot machines significantly tighter than they used to be or are you just less lucky
2: is is the point of gaming to get people interested in playing a game or is to get them interested in gambling to get them to gamble or is it just however we suck the money out of your pocket we don't care as long as that's what happens. I
0: think this is a good amount of the last one going on, yeah.
1: well, if you look at what's happened, definitely, you know whether it's nightclubs or whatever you know they're in business to make money, I could see this leading to the divergence divergence of the industry where on one hand you have hospitality, on the other hand you have gaming, which might include gambling, but also might include stuff that we wouldn't consider gambling, and it's just yeah. that's sort of entertainment yeah.
2: Now, why? here's another thing that your article made me think of, too, is why is there a casino?
1: That's a good question. Does there why, have to be a casino?
2: Why is there a casino floor with all these devices? Why not build this shit into the wall? So everywhere you go, there's a casino. Everywhere you go, there's a machine to game.
1: There certainly could be.
2: Yeah, I you mean, know? you know, Shell Nadelson would tell you that the kids,
0: you got to protect the kids. Um, and you can't do it unless you can like watch them in the casino. I don't I don't personally subscribe to that sort of what I consider a semi alarmist view of this whole situation. but it's an interesting point you know I mean you could be going that way in to, yeah. at least to some degree at least for some entrants, which I think is you know part of why when I flip back around and think about some of these companies, like when is the one that comes immediately to mind like why why would they not be excited about? Uh, online gaming stuff, and I think it's because they don't know how to differentiate in that market, right? They know how to do it in land-based casinos. They are really good at it. They build these beautiful buildings and fill them with beautiful things. That's a lot harder to do on a website.
1: Also another thing, so every time you see a new slot machine, keep in mind that somebody decided to pay about $20,000 for that. Yes. And they're still buying a lot of slot machines that have traditional reels, the stepper machines. You know, it's not video reels. And there's a reason why they're buying them, which is because they're making money off of them. So yeah. people still – I guess my answer would be that people still do like the casino. But if you look at the big numbers, it's not growing the way it is. And certainly in the past five years, slots versus tables have lost ground in Nevada. So it's more of, hey, where, where do I think this is going to be in the next 10 years? Yeah. And you know, how do we know when we're there? You know, what was the was there this big moment when all of a sudden craps players stopped playing craps so much and moved to slot machines or you know, what was that like from 75 to yeah. 83? How did that happen? So, yeah, it's just kind of living through what I think is going to be that kind of change and trying to see it happening.
0: So, Chuck, are you saying that you're not spending a lot of time uh playing Vegas Tripping Trippies award-winning app My Vegas every afternoon? <laughs>
2: No, well, you know, I don't I don't have a Facebook account. So, ah, there you go. So I don't do that. But this also goes to the Cromwell too. They, all their blackjack tables are 6 to 5. Ugh, yeah. You know, and it's on the felt 6 to 5. It's yeah. not like a, a placard 6 to 5. It's 6 to 5 no matter what.
0: Yep. That seemed like it was inevitable. It just was going to happen sooner or later and now we know. Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad. The value is gone.
2: But think about this too, man. You go to the buffet. Pancakes. Chinese food. Crab legs. Three-card poker. Right? You walk in, you grab your pancakes, you sit down at the table, you eat oh, your pancakes like, while you're playing oh, a little
0: three-card poker. You completely lost me for a minute there, but yes, I follow you. Um, yeah, you know, it, I think... I haven't. People done some of this stuff. Wasn't that what Venetian was doing with her little handheld gaming things that you could yeah, use but on property? Yeah, that's
2: not the point, though. You don't want to sit around. Like, I can sit at home with my phone and fuck around on my phone and yeah. play a game, you know? But you're in Vegas. you got to make it part of the experience of being out and about, not sitting in a lounge playing, you know, with a fucking device.
0: Uh, I think you make a very good point. So there you go. It's an interesting thing, clearly not going away. No. So, Dave, thank you for writing the
1: article.
2: It's very thought-provoking. Thank provoking. you. Yeah, thank prov- you. Thank it provoked you. it provoked my thoughts, good and bad.
1: Sure. <laughs> That's what I hoped it did. It's
0: interesting stuff. All right, we're not going to talk about how George Clooney and Steve Wynn can't get along.
2: Oh, come on. Uh, you have something you want to say? It's funny how Steve Wynn tries to hide the fact that he's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I thought he – I mean I, I'm i only going off the, the norm column, but I thought right. Wynn came off sounding like a jerk personally. Yeah. I mean for all I know, Clooney was yeah. wasted and yelling, whatever. I don't know maybe. but I, Possibly. Wynn was like – even if that was true, Wynn used the opportunity to like, turn the knife in his back. Yeah. Those actors, we know
2: not to take them
0: seriously. It's like, oh, please.
2: <sighs> it's like anybody who's heard any earnings call in the last – six and a half years knows what Steve Wynn's opinion of Obama is. And why would he not share that when he's at lunch with George Clooney, Obama's pal? Oh,
0: I'm sure. I'm sure it would have been fun to be there
2: because it's power. It's Steve exerting his power over George Clooney trying to.
0: Yeah. It's, it
2: would have been fun to be
0: a fly on the wall for sure.
2: Yeah. Um. All right, we're done. That's
0: it. The Vegas gang is ganged. We're ganged out. Um. But before we go, there is one more thing. Hmm. Oh wait, that's someone else's stick Uh. Sure bets. <laughs> um. This is our. We gotta. We, this is where we tell people things you might like. Maybe casino. Maybe not. But recommendations. Mm. That's what sure bets are. Um. I've got one. I've got a great one. But I'm going to let my co-host go first because I'm that kind of guy.
1: Hmm. Uh, Dr. Dave Schwartz, do you have anything for us today? Sure. I've been doing a lot of reading lately, which, <laughs> I, know is, which I know is dangerous. Um, but I, I read a novel called The House of Journalists by an author named Tim Finch that I found really compelling. It was about a house for... Exiled Writers in London, which I know this is sounding like a real page-turner, but it's very interesting notions of exile and all these people's stories and very interesting stuff. They're right. very far removed from Vegas, so I, I like that one a lot, and that's just one of the interesting things I've uh, read lately. Cool. All
0: right. Sweet. We'll uh, link it up in the notes of show. Um, Charles?
2: Yeah, you know, I just want to give a shout-out. This uh, week, last week, this week, last week is the uh, 60th anniversary of the invention of one of the greatest pieces of American machinery ever, and that is the Fender Stratocaster. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, 60 years, and I tell you what, if you have never sat with a a Stratocaster sitting over your knee and really just looked at the contour of the wood and the ergonomics and the way the whole thing just, it just makes such perfect sense, even if you don't know how to play. When you're holding it in your hands, the way you touch it and feel it and it fits and it molds to your body, it really is an amazing, amazing invention that has changed the world in, in innumerable ways. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a device for protest. It's a device of love. It's, it, it, it spurs emotions, creativity, and commerce. Uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, Stratocaster and the, the couple that I own, and I love them dearly. Uh, that's a
0: great one. That is a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. Um, cool. Awesome. So me, I'm also going to recommend a book, uh, a book I've read that I really enjoyed recently. Um, you know, people write little business books and memoirs and stuff, and ninety nine percent of those business books are terrible dummies. Um, this is the this is an exception. The book is called Creativity Inc. and the author is Ed Catmull, who is the head of Pixar Animation Studios and also Walt Disney Animation. Um, and it is, talks about how Pixar works, basically, from its founding to now. The, basically, how they have... The challenges they've been through as they've tried to maintain their culture and keep producing really excellent movies. And then it also talks about... They had this unique opportunity when they got bought by Disney um, to apply a lot of those same things at Walt Disney Animation to see if they worked outside of Pixar. And it's really fascinating. The guy is... But beyond, before, he started, uh, at, at, before he started Pixar he is the inventor of like half of the techniques for modern computer graphics. I mean, the guy is just a genius. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's also super humble and, uh, the book is super compelling. I would recommend it to anybody that is even remotely interested in this stuff. Uh, very, 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 very good. So the book's called creativity, Inc. The author is Ed Catmull and I will put that link in the show notes as
2: well. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so he's he was the uh, uh, the business guy, and Lasseter is the content guy, That's right, right. their was... partner.
0: So okay. Pixar started as actually part of Lucasfilm. Um, it was failing, and Steve Jobs bought it from George Lucas. And the three of them were the three co-founders, Ed Catmull, John Lasseter, and Steve Jobs. Jobs was mostly hands-off. He let Catmull and Lasseter run the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when Disney bought them in 2005 uh, – uh, Catmull and Lasseter were also put in charge of Walt Disney animation. So they uh, expanded their purview. So, yeah, cool stuff. Um, okay. A couple things. Uh, first off, I think I can speak for everyone here that we wish our dear friend, Tim Dressen, a speedy recovery. Um, yeah. if you don't know what I'm talking about, go listen to, uh, the 500 by midnight two week, a week and a half ago now. Um, He is recovering from some surgery, and we wish him the best, and glad to hear he's doing well. But uh, more double thumbs up for you, Mr. Tim. Um, Okay.
2: Do you think that this brush with illness is going to make him a little less of a jerk? I do not think so, no. <laughs> Okay, good. As I as, as I told him, I think the best part of this
0: experience for us is that we get to hear about all the terrible things that happened to him in the hospital. <laughs>
2: Ooh. We
0: get to hear some high-quality Tim rants, so I'm okay, looking wait. forward to it. Um, please don't forget to rate the show on iTunes. It helps other people find it. We love to be rated by you. We subject, <laughs> we, we subject ourselves to your ratings. To
1: your beration.
0: Um, <laughs> please so, rate us. Please do that. Uh, you can you can go to VegasGangPodcast.com and leave comments about the show, questions, that kind of thing. We always love to interact with you, our listeners, so please do that. Or you can find us on Twitter, at VegasGang. Um, that's it. Thanks everybody for being here. Let me go around my table here one more time. You guys can tell people where they can find you. Dr. Dave Shorts, where can people find you?
1: At the Center for Gaming Research, centrally located, of course. <laughs>
0: Excellent. And Charles S. Monster Esquire, where can people find you?
2: People can find me on the outskirts of the Center for Gaming Research. (laughs) You can
0: find me at VegasMate.com. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend, and I hope to see everybody uh, at BT10.